Joseph Nash McDowell, born 1805, was one of the most influential and respected doctors west of the Mississippi. In 1840, he founded Missouri's first medical school. He was a peculiar man, known for his eccentric tastes. Grave robbery, for one. During his time teaching at the medical school, he not only encouraged, but also required that his students perform at least one human dissection before their graduation. The public looked on this with scorn, of course. Who wanted to bury their mother only to have her body taken in the middle of the night, destined to be poked, prodded, and dismembered by medical students? It was common knowledge that Joseph and his pupils were exhuming the recently dead, and so he became known as Mad Dr. McDowell. Joseph was unconventional in many ways. He owned a large collection of weapons and positioned cannons in the medical school's windows as a warning to angry mobs that occasionally formed to confront him. If those didn't intimidate, he would release his pet bear to further the point that his studies not be disturbed. In time, the small community learned to turn a blind eye to Dr. McDowell's unusual lifestyle. When Joseph's daughter, Amanda, died of pneumonia, he became inconsolable and inspired. Despite his insistence on the significance of science and medicine, McDowell held strong spiritual beliefs regarding the dead. Surely there were ways to connect worlds. Surely, in time, with enough medical study, one could bring back the dead. He purchased a local cave, carved out a secret entrance, and suspended a long copper cylinder from the ceiling. The cave would keep it cool while he dedicated himself to studying how spiritualism and science could intersect. Inside, preserved in alcohol, was his daughter's body. However, great medical genius did not take into account childhood curiosity, and it wasn't long before local kids slipped past the crude barrier he created. The copper casket became an exhibition. At night, new kids were initiated through the sharing of its splendor. Older kids would tell ghost stories beside Amanda's coffin and dare one another to approach. But only the bravest would turn the release valve open the lid, and drag the dead girl up by her hair for dramatic effect. Eventually, the local people of Hannibal discovered the bizarre manner in which Amanda was laid to rest, and they insisted that Dr. McDowell leave town and bury his daughter. The body of dear Amanda has long since been placed in a family mausoleum in St. Louis, but many visitors to the cave in Hannibal have reported seeing the apparition of a little girl. She is always described as wearing old-fashioned clothing and is said to be very pretty with long, dark hair. She's a soft spirit who will disappear into walls upon realizing she has been seen. If you ever find yourself in Hannibal, Missouri, you may find comfort in the cold chill of the cave filled with the history of residents and lost souls. There are plenty there. And if you look hard enough, the boarded pathway once leading to mad Dr. McDowell's hopeful experiment can still be seen. Hi, I'm Jamie Markey. And I'm Michael Tatum. <laughs> I don't know why I'm talking late. I've already had a drink. I love it. I love it. Day drinking uh, in quarantine. That's what we do here on Ghoul Intentions! Yes! Although I'm not drinking right now. It's a lovely day, so Jack and I are going to go on a little run after this. Oh, that sounds so great. I'm gonna yeah. I'm gonna use Avoiding the quarantine ten. <sighs> I'm gonna, or twenty. I'm gonna use the <laughs> I'm gonna use the stairwell in our building. That's what I do. I'll go up like nice. I'll go up fifteen flights of stairs like 
six, seven times. And then I want to die. That's a lot. It's yeah, a, it's a I, lot, but it's me. a good workout. And, you know, we, we don't really... There's not a good place to run where we live that isn't, like, already just lousy with people that I don't want to mm. be near right now. Um, yeah. But it's, you know, it's, I don't know. I just don't... I don't leave the house very much. <laughs> right. I get that. I get and that. I, Ours is pretty and I don't anyway. at certain times. Yeah. But we're also really good, like... People in our community are really good about staying away from each other and just waving from a distance. Oh, so that's so nice. You know, yeah. it's nice. People in our neck of the woods, um, not so much. There, there's some people that take it seriously and others are like, whatever. But luckily it's the city, so no one fucking cares about you anyway. So everyone just kind of stays away. Right, right. Yeah, but I think it'd be different if we lived in like a suburb where everyone like, you know, has, you know, uh, property investment. <laughs> right, yeah. You want to get to I'm know not, your neighbors. I'm not out in the suburbs, but maybe that's part of it. I don't know. You're kind Kind of the suburbs, aren't you? I mean, it's. Not... I mean, I'm like five miles from you. <laughs> well, that, that's like, okay. That's so it's it. like it's like it's like mm, what would you call that? It's not. I mean, you don't live like in the urban area, so I don't no. know what you'd call it. I, in, I still think it counts as suburban, but I live right fucking in the heart of it. Like I live in the middle of the towers, and it's like shit, fuck. Yeah, no, I'm we're not, not in towers. I'm not going. I'm not leaving my apartment. Yeah, no, that makes sense. You have to deal with a lot more people than I do. I do, I do. I don't like yeah. it. People with, I don't like that. People with dogs uh, they can't uh, control. Thank it's, you to Tia oh, Ballard, oh, yes. first of all, before I forget. <laughs> Yay, Thank Tia. you so much. What a good story. Oh, she's Tia so good. was kind enough to do that. She is one of our friends and also a ghost enthusiast and also yes. extremely talented. Very much actor, so. so. Yeah, yeah. We love her. Thank you, Tia. Thank you. Uh, send her love. She is on... Twitter and Instagram, I think. So, and she's really, she's really funny. Um, yeah, yeah. What's our title today, Jamie? Today's title is. Ba, ba, ba. Is that Polish? A one-sided account. <laughs> A one-sided account. Okay. Yeah, I had to open up my phone, which is what I'm reading from, <laughs> because I left my other reading device downstairs. Oh. That seemed like a lot of effort. To go all the way down there. It is. It is. Those, you know. So, yeah. What's what's the the rationale behind the title? Well, I think the rationale will become more obvious as we get through the stories. But it is from, uh, it's basically a history type quote. Mm -hmm. And it's from the Da Vinci Code written by Dan Brown. Uh, And the quote is, by its very nature, history is always a one-sided account. Ah. Which I love. And it's true, right? The victors write to the victor, write the histories, or the history go to the victor, or something like that. Yeah, victors always, it's like to, to the to the victors go the spoils, but uh, yeah. It, yeah, that's history it. Is always, mixing, history is always written by the winners, I think is the Yeah, that's what it is. I'm mixing quote. up the sayings. I don't you know. Get it. I think they're all in Latin originally anyway, so we're allowed to take a few liberties. Yeah. I win, I write. <laughs> that's, what, that's what it really said. I win, I get to write. <laughs> Except now, I mean, right now, now the winners just tend to be illiterate. <laughs> oh, my God. Right? I'm going to get my giant wooden gun and go to a subway. So I want to eat fresh and scare people. I saw, <laughs> I saw a video of someone, like, responding to some... Uh, uh, fucking asshole pro- protester who was just kind of like, I just laid that, blah, blah. And you could tell this is not a guy who 
has lost his job. He's fucking retired. You know, it's, yes. it's, it's, he's just some fucking asshole that's, you know, was fine with le- not leaving the house. But the minute someone tells him he can't leave, he's got to be a fucking eight-year-old kid about it and be like, yeah. Yeah. And so someone was like, he was bitching and someone was doing a duet of this guy on TikTok and he was going, when the fuck's the last time you've even left your house, you fat fuck? And I started, <laughs> started cracking up. I'm like, this is the most exercise you've gotten since you've retired. Shut up. Yeah. Well, and also it's like, I mean, well, there was you're a, at risk, dude. There and was, there's so many there people, are. too, that I've seen that are like, oh, I have an immune disorder. And it's really hard to breathe through a mask. It's like, what are you doing? Leaving your house. You're not a fucking hero because you're putting other people at risk. That's just not how it fucking works. You may think like, oh, I'm doing this for the good of the economy. And I'm like, you know what's not? The problem isn't the lockdown. The problem is the fucking virus. And until we deal with the virus, shit you're doing is just making it fucking worse. But I. But what's really happening, what's really happening is this super uber wealthy are funding these protests. So these people are getting paid. Like they are big about saying, oh, there's a controversy or these people are paid crisis actors. But these people are actually getting their funding from the Koch, the remaining Koch brother and other super rich people. The the Mercer family. (laughs) And it's what's fucked up about it. There's a term actually, it's called astroturfing. So we are all familiar uh, familiar with the the idea of grassroots campaigning, right? Where people just kind of naturally, spontaneously come together for a cause. And that's what things like these protests look like, but in fact, it's astroturfing where someone has come in and made a fake grassroots movement uh, by just getting a lot of people riled up. And it's, you know, and of course making it look like it's a million when it's only a few hundred. And I I don't know, it's still, there's still enough people out there that are like, that are uh, kind of spurned on by this, this fucking, the protest that I'm like, I'm worried that people are still going to just prolong this shit because they're going to go out and get, there's like, there was a, there was a hairdresser here in Dallas who... Uh, went to jail for a little bit because she refused mm-hmm. to close down her salon. And, you know, and she was making this case about, well, this is how I make my living, whatever. Bitch, like, <laughs> has so much... Turns out she had quite a bit of money in her bank. Yeah, she lives like, in, like, a million-dollar-plus yeah, house so in this, Dallas. Her fucking salon was not a supportive source of income. It was just some fucking no. something she did. And she, and of course, and she saw this more, I, in my opinion, she saw this as a fucking marketing ploy. I'm going to be the hero that refuses big government, well, blah, 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 blah. I have read, I have read a little bit of evidence that shows that she's one of those AstroTurf people as well, that there was a lot of it, uh, it was orchestrated ahead of time. And so much so that even when, before she was arrested, the GoFundMe was set up to raise money for her mm. the day before. Well, so and before it, that even happened, I mean, they and, were raising and, money to get her out. And, you know, and the fact is they don't even know how to they don't even know how to hide how fucking obvious the ploy is because Ted Cruz kind of went in and did a photo op where he's getting his hair did by her and it's like Ted, yeah. you fucking idiot. I, that piece and of shit. And the haircut's terrible. The haircut's well, I mean, no haircut's going to help him not have a punchable face. That's true. It's just That's not. True. Sorry, we're getting political the about mask, it, but it's just because the Texas mask helps, is an issue. Though, the mask really helps his face. <laughs> the mask helps. <laughs> really, I think I think okay. I think Ted Cruz would just wear a mask all the time, regardless if there's a pandemic. Right. Um, so we're just we're supposed to be artists and not also, have opinions about politics oh, but, or bring our agenda into things. So. <laughs> <laughs> you think we're artists? <laughs> <laughs> Um, 
Okay, okay. Anyway, so, so that's, so, you know. That's, that's, our, that's, little, that's, our, that's our quarantine rant of the week. That's right. Let's get into our stories, yes, shall we? Yes, yes, yes. I'm starting. That's what we decided. We don't really remember what happened last time. <laughs> I think you're. I, I think your instincts <laughs> think are good. I, I think you're right. I think you finished last time, so you should start I I this did. time. It's just. It's okay. just polite. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks. It used to be like whoever read the story would end. So there, were, you guys had a break of <laughs> between our voices. How much you had to hear but, us? <laughs> but now we have really uh, worked out having our friends do. A lot of the work for us for that first story. It's so. so nice. One of the great things about this lockdown is that our friends have time to help us with the show. It's true. It's really nice. Uh, so we're going to keep doing it as long as we can. So great. It's so don't great. tell them. I love it. <laughs> they don't this listen is to this. It's going to be show. our little secret. Okay. Sorry. Go on. The, go on. Uh, the story, the, what I am doing now, we have a lot of requests for things from New Jersey. And I think one of the things that we're going to really enjoy doing is uh, New Jersey uh, doing, <laughs> doing stories about New Jersey, but not the ones they want us to do. <laughs> I mean, we're not it, doing one on the Jersey Devil. It's bullshit. I'm just going to ruin that for you right now. <laughs> it's yeah, all bullshit. Yeah, it's, it's, uh, Jersey and Devil we will bullshit. eventually do. Uh, the asylum and some other stuff there, but uh, not right, not today. This is <laughs> this is not that day. She said, be, "Be patient with us. Hopefully, the show will be around That's for right. a long time, so we'll have plenty of time to get to the topics you want us to do." In the meantime, we had our own list we had to check off, and this was Jamie's. Yeah, that's right. This is this is on my list as of like earlier this week. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> not to shoot that don't, down, sh- but I did see it, and I was like, "Ooh, that sounds neat." God, and then I just damn it, it, stop undermining me in front of the I'm children. Sorry, my <laughs> list is flexible and ever changing, like my agenda. <laughs> I'm gonna go get my hair cut. Excuse me. <laughs> okay, okay. So I am doing the Spy House of Port Monmouth. New Jersey. Ooh. And I I hope I'm saying that right. Uh, Monmouth, M-O-N-M-Mouth. M-O-N-M-O-U-T-H. I, I, I think you're right. I mean. Monmouth? I, I hope can't it, imagine it's Monmouth. I hope it's not Monmouth, because if it's Monmouth, that's. that's oh, ding! Damn it. <laughs> okay. Uh, the Spy House of Port, Monmouth, New Jersey. Mm, mm, mm. Okay. So my sources are. Are there other spies? There might be. Are there houses? It has the name for a reason. Okay. Okay. I'm just th- sorry. Sorry. A I'm, house. I'm being my mom. At least Watching one house. any movie with me right now. <laughs> That's fair. <laughs> my mom is, what? I missed it. What happened? Mom. Why did he do that thing? I don't know, mom. We're watching this together. We will discover it together. Is it going to do this? Are they going to do that? Watch it, Susan. Watch it. Okay. These are my sources. <laughs> Uh, NewJersey.com, NJ.com is how that's done. An article by D.W. Dunphy on Patch.com, Ghosts of Ohio, strangely enough, Haunted Places, uh, the book Haunted Places by Dennis William Hawk. All right. Cool. Are you ready? I'm ready. Let's do it. This house has been called the most haunted house in New Jersey. It's also been called the most haunted house in the United States. It was known as that for a while. Okay. All right. It's uh, that's known a, as the sorry, spy that's, house. That's a red flag for me. Every time a house is like, the most <laughs> haunted, like, I'm like. The most haunted. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. So 
It was known as the Spy House. Its actual name is the Seabrook Wilson Homestead, and it's located at 119 Port Monmouth Road, right off Sandy Hook Bay, which is south of Long Island. Long Island. That we all know is the penis of New York. <laughs> so it's under, it's closer to the ball section. <laughs> Right, it's where they would be like dropping the, it's, down. It's like the scrot. It's, it's down the, there. It's the taint. The, it's the scr- Yeah, it's not the. It's not quite far enough around. Okay. It's more scrot. It's more okay. scrot. Right. Okay. <laughs> so, <laughs> not the grundle, but the scrot. Gotcha. Yeah, uh, the Seabrook Wilson House is one of the oldest surviving houses in the area. In the 1640s, Thomas Whitlock took the bulk of his inheritance and bought a large plot of land so he could start a farm. He built a one-room cabin for his family in 1648, and before long, he added a second floor and made several extensions to the main floor. In 1696, Whitlock sold the property to his son-in-law, Daniel Seabrook, Uh, hence the Seabrook uh, of the Seabrook-Wilson part of the homestead. The house would stay in the Seabrook family for 250 years. Damn. When the Revolutionary War began, the Seabrooks turned their home into a tavern and inn that catered exclusively to British soldiers. Why? Well, the Seabrooks were afraid if they didn't fake being loyal to England that the British troops would either burn down their property or confiscate it, as they were wont to do. Uh, We have a whole amendment about it and everything. They were playing it Uh, safe. Yeah. Yeah. You Hmm. you can't just go take—you can't be soldiers and just go take property anymore. Not here. Sorry, England, you can still do that there, but you can't do that here for now. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) So they were faking it, but the truth is they were actually loyal to the colonists. As the British officers sat down in the tavern and had a few drinks and got to talking, there were spies upstairs listening in. Ooh, I love it. Yeah. And so they were eavesdropping, and it was thanks to these spies that the colonists found out which British ships were unarmed. Oh. Or unma- unmanned, I guess. They probably aren't were all armed to some degree, but they may not have anyone there to run the army. Okay. So yeah, the, they sh- were unmanned. The, sh- the ships that were docked and, like, not— Yes. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So once they figured that out, they would pass the information along to the colonists, and they would sneak onto the ships and sabotage them. Fun. Huh. It wasn't long before the British discovered the true function of the Seabrooks Inn, and orders were given to burn the building. According to history, only the quick actions of the women of the house who doused the flames with their laundry water saved the building from burning completely to the ground. Wow. During the 1800s, the inn actually operated for a brief time as a bordello. Oh. It was also home to a pirate known as Captain Morgan, not being confused with the infamous pa- Captain Morgan from the 1600s, different time period. Different, different, different Captain, Captain Morgan. Morgan. Okay. Yes, there were still pirates and he just uh, made energy drinks. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> uh, but in the bay there, there was a lot of uh, there was pirates over there well, and sure, stuff like that. Sure, sure. And uh, he allegedly kidnapped a wealthy French family and then hid them at the spy house while he awaited a hefty ransom. When the ransom never materialized, he actually ordered the family to be killed. And they were in the house and buried on the property. Oh. Oh. Fuck that guy. So centuries now of history like that, it has plenty of time to accumulate spirits and the restless dead. There are reports of anywhere from five to two dozen active ghosts in the house. Wow. To be fair, 
it's a decent sized house, so you know, there's room for them. Okay. As long as they're not all just crammed in there, that would be awful. Right. Right. So who's haunting? <laughs> Who, well, Jamie? It said Who? that Thomas Whitlock, the original owner, is one of the earliest spirits spirits. Spirits. Uh, that's what that's how they said it back is then. Is that a is that a uh, is that a cross between a spirit and a patriot? Yes, he's a spirit. <laughs> <laughs> uh, he, he's been documented within the spy house. Whitlock has been spotted walking through his old house. He's also developed a reputation as a feisty spirit, as he's been accused of fondling the hair of female guests and even pinching ladies with a little more flesh. Oh, oh. Yeah. Oh, my. Whitlock is also one of the few spirits that uh, of the house that speaks, and he is said to have a deep, booming voice. Oh, other spirits from Whitlock's time include those of Native Americans. There's a lot of uh, reports of some, there was a lot of warfare between the natives mm-hmm. and the white folk that had moved in. <laughs> and yeah, so uh, imagine that. things weren't, yeah, they, they didn't love it. They didn't love that you just put a house where they were. It's <laughs> probably right by the bay, too. Like they, they liked to go to the bay. So, um, <laughs> it's like, this is our fucking land. Have... You can't just build shit here, but you're not. Right. Like, this okay. is where we beach. What are you doing? Uh, visitors have reported seeing their ghostly faces peering in the windows at them from the Ooh. inside out. And people report seeing people peering from the outside or the inside, inside out, but the natives were. They'll be on the inside of the house and see them, Native Americans, looking at them from the outside. Uh-huh. And then people on the outside of the house have seen people looking out to them that aren't in the house. Ew. Ew. Lots of activity with those windows. So much. Naturally, there's a bitch in white. I would hope so. I mean, if it's good, you know, can't be, you don't get, you're not allowed to call yourself the most haunted of anything unless there's a bitch in white. You have to have at least a bitch in white, at the very least. Yeah. Uh, it's believed that she's Daniel Seabrook's wife. She's been seen descending the stairs from the attic and walking into the blue and white room on the second floor. Once in the room, the apparition leans over and appears to tuck a baby into a non-existent crib. Ooh. Then she turns away from the baby and disappears. Ooh. Another of, I think they call her Abigail or something like that. I think that's, it's the... They've named her, but I had a couple of different names, so that's the most common one. Mm, mm. Uh, Another of Daniel's relatives, Lydia, has been known to stare out the windows of the spy house and is often spotted by guests outside the house. The Revolutionary War seems to have left the most ghosts in the house. Perhaps the best known is Lord Charles Cornwallis, the man who has the honor honor of surrendering the British at Yorktown. He must have been quite the drinker when he was alive, as his spirit is said to still drunkenly wander the hallways of the spy house. In addition, strange noises and footsteps are often heard coming from the area where the colonists' spies are believed to be hidden. Mm. Perhaps Mm. one of the most menacing figures dating from this time period is the tall, foreboding figure of a man in a black hat. He is only known as the Bearded Man. It's the devil. The devil. In my movie. Or maybe Abraham Lincoln. I don't know. <laughs> Depends on how long he's been there. I guess if it's since the Revolutionary War, then it's not him. Prob- okay. Prob- probably <laughs> it's not. The devil yeah. it's, it's the devil. It's a little before yeah, okay. Lincoln's time. <laughs> uh, the pirate Captain Morgan. Again, not the Captain Morgan, just like a uh, Captain Morgan. A real terrible dick marketing. of a Morgan. Right. Like, you got to be a better marketing guy. You got to wonder, maybe he was just homicidal because he was always walking around. People were like, are you the Captain Morgan? He's like, fuck, no. I'm... I'm no, and I'm not related to him. I don't know who the fuck you're talking about. Leave me alone. I don't make rum. Or maybe it's like uh, the Dread Pirate Roberts. He just like 
People just assume <laughs> like the name. A, They're passed down. It's like, yeah. It's like, yeah. It's it, possible. It's like a family name or, a, you know, yeah, a generational right. thing. Yeah. It, an earned pirate name. I, mean, that's, I anyway, feel whatever maybe a better is, name than Morgan then because there's not really, Morgan's just like, what are you, yeah. you're going to be the dread pirate Tatum. Like, it doesn't make, yeah, doesn't really yeah. triple off the tongue. Uh, so yeah, he haunts it as well. He, uh, hmm. as, as does his first mate, apparently. The first mate. Did you do that or was that the ghost? I'm sure something just fell. <laughs> <laughs> I saw it kind of shake the desk there on I Zoom. I don't know what it was. Jamie. I'm going to keep going. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Why didn't this shit happen on my end? God damn it. I feel like since we're talking, I need to be drinking rum. That's what this is telling me. I mean, I told Don't you. Don't go running. Go drink some rum. It's Captain you Morgan time. You can run with a glass of rum in you. It's fine. I do it all the time. Oh, my God. I would vomit my face off. Yeah, I mean. Which, you know. Okay. <laughs> God. Fuck. What happened? Like, And I'm something... in a box. I can't see outside something... of my little did something zone fall? Did you that see I've created something... for myself. Something fell and hit the desk is what it sounded like. Um, what did it sound like on your end? I don't that my that a box fell over. Man, no one's gonna believe this but is real, over... especially when I read my story. Okay, hold on. Let me go look. Let me go look. Jesus. Don't leave the camera. Now you're gonna. Oh, you're gonna. I can't take it with. Hold on. Just, I know, but it's, it's gonna. Oh, I, I I'll hate keep this. talking. I hate I'll this. Okay, I hate so. this because you're. So she's walking oh, off camera, God. and it's like a fucking I'm horror movie. <laughs> and... Please don't call it your box. Uh... Nothing has fallen over. <laughs> oh no! There's a dog toy on the floor, but that could have been there already. I don't know. I don't. Um, I don't know. I feel like whatever it was hit the curtain. Yeah, I couldn't tell. And it it shook. I don't know what that was. Hold on. It shook your the bank shook your camera a little bit. That's all I know. And I heard Aha! it. What was? It? You find it? Ha! What was I it? I found it. Okay, good. What was it? Okay, so what ha- happened was, <laughs> um, I have a thing that I put up in the window, and then I put the curtain over it, and that thing pushed the blinds. You know, the like top cap of the blinds mm-hmm. that covers the hardware. It pushed that off, and that fell. What do you put in the window? Just like cardboard. Oh, oh, I see. I see it like further yeah. down. I got you. To make it quieter. Oh, okay. <sighs> Mystery solved. It wasn't a ghost. As far yeah. as we know. It wasn't Captain okay. it wasn't Captain Morgan getting salty because no. we're fucking, you know, consider him fair game because he murdered a family. That's right. That's right. Okay, okay. So where were we? Uh, da, da, da. He haunts it. Um <laughs> the the first mate. Mm-hmm. He quietly walks the hallways, and Morgan's ghost is often heard spewing forth obscene language. In addition to the pirates, several members of the family Morgan ordered executed are also witnessed in the building. In July of 1975, in the same room, uh, the I'm sorry, same room, in the black and white room, <laughs> a group of visitors, I wrote same room, but it's the black and white room, a group of visitors saw the lid on a sewing machine pop open and the, the blue and white room, whatever the room color was. Okay, so anyway, <laughs> people were in the house. I'm, it, it, 
my heart rate's still up. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it was right behind me. It scared me. Uh, okay. Uh, 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 okay. There was the lid to the sewing machine. It popped open, and the sewing machine started running. But no one was pushing the pedal to get it to go. So it was like one, was it one of the older style uh, sewing yeah. machines, like the 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 hand pump or the the foot pump ones, like the singers, the, the singer ones. That's what I'm trying to think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And so no one was no one was touching it at all, and it just started going. I imagine it's a ghost that's like, "What is this contraption?" Yeah. <laughs> and they sit down there Ooh, just playing with it and be like, to do is, "How does it work? Yeah. Oh my god, this would have saved me hours." Hours! Uh, an unidentified presence is said to haunt the entrance room on the first floor as if it's waiting for someone to arrive. The ghost of a full-bearded man with a top hat has been seen in the first floor hall. Probably not a, Abraham Lincoln. There's a lot of beards in this as well. A full-bearded old sea captain is also known to roam the grounds and the halls, and he's often seen looking out the window at the sea. Also... The small ghost of a boy has been seen looking out the windows. In fact, there seem to be a lot of ghostly children hanging out at the spy house. Researchers are unsure of why, but it appears as though the spy's house has become something of a magnet for the spirits of small children. Visitors to the house have witnessed large groups of ghost children playing in the yard. And while a few of those ghosts have been identified as those of children once associated with the house, the large majority of them appear to have no connection to the building whatsoever. Hmm. Perhaps it's just a case of the spirits learning that there's still room for them. And there are other kids. That's where all the cool kids are. <laughs> got to go to the spy house. But you've been to the spy house? You're no one in the afterlife until you've yeah. been to the spy house. you got to go to the spy house. They have the best toys. <laughs> according, <laughs> according to Roadside America, the house's glass windows kind of have a rippling effect on the window pane glass. That may be the cause of claims that people seeing maybe pareidolia. Do you There's know, this is a fun fact, Jamie, that glass is actually not a solid. It is a very, 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 very slow-moving liquid. So if you go oh. to, I mean, so slow that it might as well be a solid, but in actuality, right. it's a liquid. So when you go to old houses with glass panes, the bottom portion of the pane is wider than the top because the glass has slowly, you know, gravity is pulled the, the 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 whatever the it's so it's so slowly viscous but it's still viscous so the the bottom part gets bigger because it kind of pours downward like that and so that's why a lot of older windows are thicker on the bottom the panes are thicker on the bottom than the top they weren't designed that way they've become that way because they've just been around and in that position for so long that they've slowly they're just slowly pouring down to find a level and uh, it's why some of the older windows too look kind of ripply oh I didn't know the that. more you know well these are ripply. So it probably adds to pareidolia. Mm -hmm. um, do, do, do. And then there's also the, a feeling that you're being watched, a feeling that someone's with you that pareidolia doesn't explain. <laughs> uh, let's see. Inside the spy house, which was left unharmed by Hurricane Sandy in 2012, um, they are they have done renovations as well as the outside. Um Let's see. Former spy house owner, the Reverend William Wilson, was spotted presiding over a funeral near the fireplace. And Thomas Whitlock himself was said, again, to have made an appearance and followed some visitors home. Ooh. Yeah. Ooh. So that is the haunting of the spy house oh. in New Jersey, according to what's commonly believed. Because <laughs> guess I mean. what? Is there an actually? It's an actually. Yay. Hashtag actually. 
actually. Uh, A lot of this is bullshit. (laughs) (laughs) A lot of the history is bullshit. And it has been told as fact for years, right? Funny how that works. There's a thread of truth. A thread of truth to it. It runs through a lot of the stories. It's just a tiny little baby thread. But, you know, there it's like they started with the truth and just went off from there. <laughs> so what gets me, though, is that it's pretty clear that these are stories, like it's, as we'll see, demonstrated. But a lot of the websites, especially the ones that are ghost-oriented, only tell the myth. They don't tell the truth. And it's easily findable. And then... <laughs> One of the sites I was looking at that was telling the spooky story had links to sites that are debunking the myths. But they would just go get the ghost stories from that and use the ghost stories and not tell the fucking truth. People see what they want to see. I you know it's I mean it's so it's just- I don't know, it's weird. I it's such I feel like there's almost a cottage industry of making sure historic sites get the reputation of being haunted just so people so that people care about the history. So it's it may be there may be notable uh, uh, noble motivations behind it, but still it's like bruh Bro, it's like the well, Winch- it's like the Winchester Mystery House. We've covered that yeah. many, many, many episodes yeah. ago. The fact well, that you can go there and get a tour and they still tell you the bullshit story that there's uh-huh. not a shred of truth to is kind yeah. of amazing to me. But it's it's showmanship. That's what you're paying for. Right. You don't go, you don't well, you don't lay down your money so people will be like, so what you just paid for doesn't actually exist. Follow me and I'll show you right. how it doesn't. Like I, I get it, but it's frustrating all the same. Yeah, I agree. And it's funny that you mentioned that, which we'll get to. <clears throat> The why shortly. Oh, good. But let's talk about the truth, right? Mm. Okay, so first of all, Thomas Seabrook was a patriot. That is fact. He was in the New Jersey militia, and there were certainly skirmishes and raids involving British troops in the area, but he was not a spy. Nor did he have a tavern that hosted British troops during the revolution. The building did become a tavern at some point, but it wasn't until much later than the legend says. Thomas Seabrook applied for a tavern license in 1803, but that was 20 years after the war was over. And we don't know if he actually turned it into a tavern or not. He just applied for a license. Huh. So did I? Yeah. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah. Hmm. So it wasn't even a tavern then. It became one later. It definitely became one later later, in the 1900s. 20 years later. But yeah, yeah. According to Kristen Hone, historic preservation specialist with the Monmouth County Park System, the home was constructed in the early 1700s, not the 1600s, as people believe. So, in 1696, we got Daniel Seabrook, the son-in-law. Right. He purchased the land from his stepfather, Thomas Whitmore, but there was no house on the property. Thomas Whitmore haunting, it's not really... Doesn't really make sense because he never had a house on the property. There was nothing he just there for him the to haunt. Property. Yeah. Yes, huh. exactly. So uh, he, what happened is he had property in town in Middleton Village, and that property and the Seabrook-Wilson property get confused. Ah. So they mixed them up because he owned both of them mm-hmm. at the same time. He, this is different. He uh, never had a house. Seabrook is the one that built the first house. Hmm. And so... He built it on there in the early 1700s. The property exchanged hands in the Seabrook family until 1850, when the house was sold to Lydia Seabrook's husband, William Wilson, Seabrook Wilson House. It was still the Seabrook family, though, because it was by marriage, right? 
And it's a it great and in, it's a great name for a house. I mean, Seabrook yeah, just it's, Seabrook it's very evocative. Yeah, right. Uh, it stayed in the Wilson family into the 1900s. Seabrook Wilson House. Okay. Yes. Between 1900 and 1955, the property was rented out as a boarding house, not a Bordeaux, <laughs> an inn, a restaurant, and a beachside resort until it ended up vacant in the mid-1950s. Local residents decided they were going to save the property because it was going to be demolished uh, and they saved it in 1967 by pushing the township to buy the site. The Middle Middleton Township Historical Society then opened it up as the Shoal Harbor Maritime Museum, focusing on the history of the Bayshore and its fishermen. The residents of that area that saved the property were led by one Gertrude Nedlinger. After the museum was created, Gertrude became the curator of the museum. And this... Is when the elaborate history started. Ah, Gertrude. She started using the name Spy House in 1776 at the Bicentennial. She told stories that were a little more exciting than the actual history of the house. Gertrude passed away in 1998, and she, but she was a member of the Historical Society, not a trained historian. Uh, yeah, two very, yeah. very different things, as my mother will tell you. Yes. Most of the extreme history, the spies, the pirate and murders, the events that would lead to the hauntings and a lot of the hauntings themselves were embellishments. Hmm. None of it can be proved. Hmm. <laughs> you know, yes, there were Native Americans in the area. Yes, there were skirmishes with them, with the British and stuff like that. But there's no evidence that there was any kind of like she said that there was a massacre at the house between Native Americans and the people who lived there. Like one of the women was killed or she was stabbed and she uh, but she survived it and, you know, lived to an old age. Like, it, she told different stories. Huh. Huh. Um, but the thing about Gertrude is that everybody loved her. They thought she was fantastic. Well, she was a great storyteller. She was lovely. <laughs> she was a great storyteller. They really, really uh, adored her. So, again, why did she make the stories up? It's like you said. It wasn't easy to get people interested in old houses and in the mindset of preservation in the 1960s and 70s. It wasn't as big of a deal as it is now. There is a belief that had she not told these stories to get people interested in the house, the house would have been demolished years and years ago. Oh, I, I believe so, it 100% because that, I mean, look, especially in America, man, we don't preserve stuff. We we nope. knock that shit over and build a car park or a fucking yep. mall. Even after it was a museum, if people weren't going to the museum, yeah. they would have gotten rid of it. So mm. Mm. people started going to the museum to see the ghosts. Ghost hunters would go. They had a ghost tour going on. Like there were other reasons to go to this museum besides just the history. Mm. And the more people she got there, the more likely the house was to stay up. So for her, it was a labor of love to make sure that this house didn't get torn down. I mean, to her credit, to I mean, there's there's an adage somewhere that says, like, in order, like, you have to make history transparent for the masses. But I think she may have misinterpreted what that meant. Right. <laughs> yeah. Not literally. But she did. It worked, though. Who are we to say? Because it worked. 
The unfortunate side effect of the colorful tall tales was that the house became a focal point for all the wrong reasons. Mm -hmm. Websites and videos focused on fictitious legends. They still do, apparently, which still blows my mind. Shame (laughs) on them. Shame, shame, shame. Uh, (laughs) This is so great. This is going to, this is going (laughs) to dovetail with my topic really, really well. And we didn't even, we didn't even know what we were doing today. Like we didn't know what the other was doing today. I'm very pleased. Oh, good. Okay, good. Um, so, and there are other unsubstantiated ghost sightings. Of course, mm. how can you substantiate a ghost sighting? Someone's always going to be like, nah. How can you substantiate so, <laughs> the insubstantial? Right. Uh, the moniker of the most haunted house in America became, for a time, inseparable from the property. When the building was closed off to the public for renovations, the ghost chasers believed it was more proof of netherworldly events and a cover up, a cover up with a foot. <laughs> they were covering up the ghosts. The, the ghosts. They didn't want us to know the truth. <laughs> I love it. By the 1990s, Gertrude and the Historical Society had a falling out. Um, I guess it was the 1980s because she died in the 1990s. Uh, oh, 1998, <laughs> um, though, you said. So there was – Yeah, yeah. Was so early 1990s, 90s. I guess. Uh, and the, they had a falling out. There was a variety of reasons they asked her to leave, though, not just the ghostly stuff. She had, <laughs> There were some problems with your mother would have – like blown a gasket. <laughs> they had problems about where certain artifacts came from. They didn't know where they came from. There wasn't any record keeping, so they didn't know why oh, they had them. How what was oh. original to the house? Oh, shit. And so, uh, and then on top of that, there was the her interpretation of the property, and that's why they ended up removing her. And the what happened when they did the restoration um, in 1998? Basically, what happened is the county. Um, regained ownership of it uh, and they did a massive restoration from 2008 to 2009 hmm. and um in 1972 it had already been added to the national register of historic places so they wanted to make sure it was accurate and the problem was there wasn't any record keeping so they didn't know the stuff that was inside the house if it was original so they couldn't yeah. use any of it because oh, they don't God. know if it's yeah Oh, man. So they didn't know if it was original, and they had to go find stuff that would have been original to that time period. Jesus. Yeah. So it's kind of a double – the sword cuts both ways. It it brought people Uh in, but it also was the – I guess the reflection on just how little – a little of history she truly seemed to care about in in terms of at least preserving it properly. I mean, who knows? I love her enthusiasm. I don't – That's right. I don't love her lack of discipline. Yeah. Thank you. That was very well said. In the end, while it may no longer be the spy house and visitors will have to reconcile the falsehood of its paranormal past, the present and the future Seabrook Wilson Homestead will stand in the on the actual merits of what it was meant to be, a preserved time capsule of Middleton history. The Bay Shore Waterfront Park Activity Center as it is now known, which seems like a much longer and needless title, but that's what it's known (laughs) as now. It's open to the public on Sunday from 1 p.m. to 4 p.m. during non-corona seasons. Uh, (laughs) That was my addition. Now, I have to say this, too. As much as the curators want to forget the ghostly stories that still haunt the building, do you see what I did there? Yeah. Thank you. Thank I like you. it. It's good. Uh, it's clever. Clever. I mean, they're kind of uptight about it. They're really like, well, I oh, think, people were coming here for the wrong reasons. It's well, so upsetting. I think they just they're worried about they're worried about a repeat of of what Gertrude did. They don't they don't they're That's like the history is the real history gets lost uh, yes. because it gets eclipsed by the bullshit uh, history that justifies the ghost story, which is a concern. Right. I mean, that's a thing, you know. 
Yes. But, but um, sorry, I, I didn't mean to. Yeah, like, well, and yeah, like, pe- <laughs> it's like people want the history and you're like, but this wall. Um, <laughs> this wallpaper. I know. It is, what about the it wallpaper? Is, it is hard. Like it is also kind of a little stuffy of a historian to be like, but it's don't you care about bit. the dating of this wainscoting? And they're like, no, I care about the murder, motherfucker. Why do I care about right. interior yes, decor? I care about like, the dating of the wainscoting, but I want the story of why it's the wainscoting. It doesn't always have to be a murder, right? but there should be some stories there. That's what history is: is the stories. It's not the things. It is. It is. Um, so. But my my whole point is that just because they don't want there to be ghosts there mm. doesn't mean there aren't ghosts there. I, People have <clears throat> seen spooky stuff in this house repeatedly for decades. See, this is what I think happens <laughs> in these cases, Jamie, and I think it's fascinating. I think real spooky paranormal shit happens, um, but... You know, that kind of stuff never presents itself in a way that's very clear. So you don't know who am I seeing or what am I hearing or, or you know, what, who, with this object that's moving, who's moving it and what, who did this belong to? So we, we're human beings. We make up a story. And so I, what's interesting about this is that while we can debunk the, the ghost stories, we can't debunk the phenomenon that gave rise to the ghost stories. And that's yeah. what fascinates me. I think most houses that say they're haunted probably are, but what they're being haunted by or who is, we're usually very wide of the mark. Yes, I agree. And this house has a lot of history. And to me, why not combine the two? Like if you know that there is a sea captain that is seen why would he be there? Like, let's, okay, so he's looking at the sea. Who could he possibly be? But more importantly, I think there's a way to combine the history of the wallpaper and who might have <laughs> yeah. been in that room. Like, the woman who, like, she had a real family. Right. It's not just well, her. And, she and, had a baby in that room. What baby? Where did the baby, you know what and, I mean? And there's and to be real fair, people I guess behind these historians, stories. But historians are real people as well. It's important to remember. And, and they... <laughs> yeah. When they're trying to, it's very tempting, and and I know this because I have my own passion for history, as does my family, but it's very easy to get, to just discount what you can't substantiate. And there's so much of history is lost because it isn't preserved well. I mean, there's so much, you could, I mean, there are so many, I I would, I I don't have the numbers in front of me, but I read somewhere this very alarming but believable statistic that the vast majority of people in America right now, and I can only imagine what it's like in other countries, don't know who their great-grandparents were. Don't even know what their great-grandparents' names were, let alone where they lived, when they married, stuff like that. And it just doesn't get preserved. And so historians get frustrated because there's nothing to find. So they tend yeah. to they tend to focus just to kind of, uh, I mean, understandably, they focus on what there is documentation for. Yeah, and, right, and my mother will tell you, like, I can't tell you how many times courthouses burned down uh, and, like, take with them 300 years of recorded records that there are no duplicates of anywhere and how much, how many towns suffered that in some point in their history where it's like, well, fuck, we just don't know. So you have to put, and historians don't like to just fill in the pieces with 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 uh, theories because that, you know, it just feels dangerous. So I, I can't blame historians for wanting to focus on what they can prove and being like, well, I mean, we're, there, there's no records of the sea captain, so there's nothing, we, there's nothing to find here, so we're going to ignore that. Right. It, it's, 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 it sucks. It really sucks because I wish there was. But, man, it just breaks my heart to know how much history is actually irrevocably lost. Like, yeah. probably 99% I pull out of my ass. Um, <laughs> the number I pull <laughs> out of my what? ass. I love— 
I love the idea that there's a haunting. And so people start researching their house when they never had before and find out that's a true. history they didn't that's know true. was there just because of the haunting. I think that's fantastic. I love and that. And there's, kind of there's stuff. so many examples of that happening too, which is yeah. cool. So I think, I think you're right. I'm, I'm on your side here. I think the historians maybe need to be a little little more, make a few more allowances for the paranormal yeah. because it can, yeah, it comes with some bullshit too, but it can also inspire research. It doesn't have to be either or. Hitherto for, uno- yeah, it could be a happy median, god damn it. Yeah, exactly. And so with that in mind, there are a few ghost stories. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Just a couple to end on. So yeah, people have seen spooky stuff. It's not everything they're, they're not seeing, um, you know, they might see a guy and they might have their hair pulled, but it's not going to be who they think it is or who exactly. she was telling people are. And we're not sure what all she has mm, seen. Mm, mm. The woman in white, though, I saw several different telling of that. There's also um, one woman uh, saw a, another woman standing by the water. She described the woman as wearing a long black skirt, a red blouse, and had a cap on her head. Mm. Her hair was tied back with a black bow. Mm. Worried because the woman looked upset, she approached the figure who did not move. She then walked back to her car, turned around, and saw the women woman dissipate. Mm. Mm. Uh, the children have been seen and heard. Okay. They have been. Uh, there's a story of a preservationist who encountered a group of children playing. He went into the group to try to tell them to go home, and when he was in the middle of them, they just disappeared. All the kids. Just disappeared. So he was a little disturbed about that. Um, It's a good story. So, yeah, yeah. They used to do ghost tours as well, and that's when a lot of people had different experiences. There were more people going through in a space where that might happen, right? Right. Uh, One tour guide said that a man noticed a woman dressed in colonial garb in a costume that was kind of following him from room to room. So he asked his friends about it who were on the tour too. And they were like, what are you talking about? There was nobody in costume. So he went to the tour guide and was like, hey, what's with this girl in, co- in who's dressed up in a costume? She was like, there's nobody on the tour or here in costume. <gasps> so it has, there. there is stuff. In my movie, <laughs> Gertrude is there. Oh, my God, now. I love that. What a great twist. In your movie, yeah. Gertrude's like, it wasn't haunted, but it is now. But it is now. <laughs> <laughs> and just, and I, I, it, I love this idea that she's annoying the shit out of the curators now. Like, oh, really? It's not haunted? Let That's me go ahead and so do this great. for you. <laughs> <laughs> I so love that for me for, to be true. Oh, my yeah, God. me too. Me too. So there you go. That was great. That was great. I love the yeah. spirited discussion we had. Yes, because of its so well chosen topic, I I think mine will add a little bit, uh, a few more layers to the discussion today. Uh, you want to take a quick break? Uh, short break. A uh, short break. I'll make myself another drink, and uh, then we'll be right back. Yeah. Okay. Hey, Michael. <gasps> hey, Jamie. Did you know that we don't have any commercials in this podcast? I do, and I think that's something we should be proud of. Right. Uh, we now have a commercial in this podcast. God. <laughs> Damn it. <laughs> it's for our Patreon though. It's for us. Oh, that's different. It's for us. It's not it's not a commercial. It's an it's it's an infomercial. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. That's right. It's so, an extension of what we already do. Exactly. So we want everybody to know that we do have a Patreon. Go to patreon.com slash ghoul intentions. 
and you can help support the podcast there. We're not doing commercials, uh, which is where a lot of people make a lot of money. But right now, we want to make sure that we maintain no commercials for you guys, except for this one. <laughs> so <laughs> the way that Patreon works, if you don't understand, it's a way that people can support art and artists financially so that uh, they can keep doing what they love. This podcast is something we love. We would love to keep doing it. It does take time and a lot of effort, and we do pay our engineer, Matt. So anything that you can do to help us, we would really appreciate it. We have several different tiers. Um at $8, starting at $8, you can become part of our Discord. Discord is like an online chat, and we uh, it has some really cool things. It's There's a whole community that started there, a really great support system. There's a section where they talk about anxieties. Michael has yeah. a book club on the higher tier. It's really fun, um, and it's a great way to yeah. just kind of talk to people, and, and kinda, it's a, kind of, it's a great way to reinforce the Ghoul Intentions community, too. Most of you are probably That's familiar right. with Discord, but I love how much you can customize it. Yes, yes. And so uh, one of the things that we do is we have chats. So at the $8 level, you can get on Discord. At the $20 level, you're a Phantasm member, and that is $20 a month, but you become more of an integral part of the podcast. We take topic uh, suggestions from them. They also get, the truth is they get priority with ghost story readings. (laughs) I mean, it's true. Um, It's true. Um, There's also the... uh, Uh, titles. A lot of titles we have are suggested by our Phantasm members, and that's where the book club is. So what we do is twice a month, we have chats with those Discord members. The first chat of this month will be on Tuesday, the 19th of May, 2020. So looking forward to it. Yes, it will be at 7 p.m. Central. And we will chat. You guys can ask questions. It's kind of a Q&A about the podcast and ghosty kind of things. And it lasts about an hour. And that is for everyone on the Discord. Yes. And we, we've done it a couple Tuesday, times. And it's really, really yeah, fun. It's really fun. It's really, really cool. On Tuesday, the 26th, we have another one. But that's for the Phantasm tasm level and higher and higher it's only it only goes <laughs> <laughs> but we have another pod, uh, uh, chat uh, scheduled for them on the 26th and a tuesday and then as a special to everyone uh on the discord because we don't have conventions right now and people aren't getting to talk about you know anime and cartoons and video games the things that uh, we do outside of the podcast we're going to do a third special chat on Friday the 29th, also at 7 p.m. All of these are going to be at 7 p.m. Central Standard Time. Uh, just so we can talk. It's an all skate. <laughs> you can just <laughs> ask whatever. You can talk about whatever. And it should be a lot of fun. Yeah. So if you can, please support us at uh, on our Patreon, Google Intentions. Thank you so much to everybody yeah, thank that you. is listening and being supportive and sending us good energy because Lord knows I need it technically. <laughs> and I need it just emotionally as well as... <laughs> That's right. That's right. Uh, it's, uh, but thank you guys. We love doing this show, but you guys can really help us make it really amazing, even more amazinger than it already is. And uh, yeah. we love supporting uh, the community that's kind of grown up around it. So that'll really help. So if you can, please take part. We'd appreciate it and help us you know, come up with more content. That's right. Okay. Moving on with the rest of the show. And we're back. We're back. We're back. (laughs) We we have voided our bladders and are now refilling them with fresh drinks. So uh, getting into my topic, I've wanted to do this for a while and I just hadn't had the time to, to really 
do the deep dive that the topic deserved. Uh, but I finally, you know, quarantine has given me the uh, has robbed me of a lot of excuses. That's so, so nice. <laughs> I finally did it. Now, uh, before I start, I want to I want to ask you a question, Jamie. What are from fr- from uh, your childhood? What are some of the most insane live TV moments you can remember happening that were like, holy shit, like generation defining. Like we have the Challenger disaster. Oh, the Challenger, yeah, course. for sure. The Challenger. Uh, what are some others? And they don't have to be tragic. Like I, I remember, do you remember uh, Geraldo Rivera doing the live? Yes. Uh, uh, Jimmy uh, Hoffa. Uh, no, no, uh, not Jimmy Hoffa. I'm thinking of uh, was... uh, Al Capone's vault. Oh, I thought that was Jimmy Hoffa. Didn't he do a Jimmy Hoffa fail too? He might have. He did a lot of fails. <laughs> <laughs> but the big one I'm thinking of was yeah. Al Capone's vault, which okay. had not been opened since Al Capone's death. And they're like, mm-hmm. there could be anything in here. And they spent like hours. Died of syphilis, just want to say that. Yeah, died of syphilis that really affected his brain for quite a few mm-hmm. years beforehand. So he was a moron. Um, Anyway. <laughs> uh, uh, Didn't leave uh, anything in his vault because he was the moron. Yeah, he was He was like peeing pus. And he was like, it's fine. And then wouldn't go to yeah. a doctor. So like, uh, anyway. Uh, but Al Capone, Geraldo uh, uh, Rivera found, like, decided to do this live television special one night. You know, did all this build up. We're going to open this this vault, which he had, like, experts helping him pry open or whatever, or... or uh, Demolitionists, whatever. I forget actually how they opened it, but it took a while. There was a lot of buildup, and they opened it up, and there was fuck all in there. There was absolutely nothing. But so, but moments like that. I mean, so, so any yeah. others come to mind of big televised moments that were like all the like we're just everyone was talking about for years. Afterwards. When we were kids. Well, when we were kids, or, or in recent history, if you can think of recent things. Yeah, well, of course, September 11th, obviously. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. But happened on camera. Mm-hmm. I think of the Super Bowl uh, wardrobe malfunction. With Janet Jackson yes. and Timberlake, that was others. Well, so this is all. This is kind of all leading me into my topic, which my topic today is uh, a not too well remembered, which is a shame. Television program in the UK called Ghost Watch. It was a one-off feature-length huh. TV program um, that happened to go down. It happened to earn a reputation of being one of the most notorious examples of a live broadcast ever done. And it's brilliant, but it also changed the game. It changed television, it changed the horror genre, and it also changed how we, as a discerning public, uh, process claims of the paranormal. So it has quite mm-hmm. a, it casts quite a long shadow. Have you ever heard of it? Do you know what I'm talking about? No, okay. I've never heard of it. So my sources on this uh, primarily are uh, from a YouTube channel called Inside a Mind, which is really good. I, there's a lot of really fun essays on various rabbit hole topics that I highly recommend our viewers, our listeners go watch. Um, there's also a really wonderful argue, uh, argue, an article. <laughs> <laughs> an argument. Uh, I, <laughs> that I quote but... from extensively, written by Kate Mossman for The New Statesman, entitled Ghost Watch, The Halloween Hoax That Changed the Language of Television. And Ooh, uh, a hoax. Also, it's a hoax. Well, it's a hoax and it's not. It's a... Uh, it's again. It's hard to a misunderstanding. It's hard to classify what exactly it is, which is part of the reason it has such an effect. But uh, you know, it's called Ghost Watch, so it doesn't involve ghosts and people. War of the Worlds type of thing. Exactly. So let me get Aha! into it. All right. So oh, as I it, let, my me, hair. let me let me just my headphones off. When I flipped my hair. Hold on. <laughs> you are really so ready for this story, right. Jamie. All right. Okay. So let me start. <laughs> <laughs> By talking about the showrunner for Ghost, uh, Ghost Watch, a guy named Stephen Volk. Now, as a child, showrunner and horror writer Stephen Volk nurtured himself uh, on the 
towering classics of the genre. I'm talking Frankenstein, Dracula, the strange case of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. Um, his palate for sophisticated literary chills, uh, man after my own heart, led him to read <laughs> widely and often in constant search of the perfect scary story. Now, his quest led him to realize something you may notice all of these uh, titles have in common. The most effective fictional representations of the supernatural tended, he found, to set themselves up as being true-to-life accounts. Dracula, for example, for those of you that have read it in AP English, <laughs> plays out through a series of journal entries and correspondences between principal characters, giving it like you're reading uh, a historical account. Likewise, mm -hmm. Frankenstein and just about every other piece it's of- It's the literary version of Blair Witch. Ah, you're getting ahead of the story. Um, oh, no, sorry. <laughs> but likewise, Frank... You did it, too. I, I did. But, but, but uh, likewise, Frankenstein and Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde and just about every piece of weird lit remembered now beyond its first printing uses this, this technique of presenting it like the following is a true story, or at least it's written in the style of a historical document rather than just a third-person um, uh, omnipotent narrator. Um, so it makes sense that Volk would set out to follow their lead in his own work, albeit with a decidedly modern spin. Now, inspired by a 1972 television documentary in which scientists tackled the possibility of whether bricks from a Victorian building could actually hold impressions of the site's past, it aired once and it just made a strong impression on him, Volk's own spooky magnum opus, as he saw it initially, would be a six-part series following the exploits of a paranormal investigator as she reconnoitered haunted sites around the UK. Things would culminate in a live season finale, a documentary-style broadcast where, of course, everything would go terrifyingly awry in real time before a stunned viewership at home. So think Mercury Theater's infamous War of the Worlds radio play, just swap out Martians for vengeful spirits, right? In terms of early 90s television, uh, this was like innov innovation par excellence, you know, but, but as far as this agent was concerned, it was a little too ambitious. She loved the concept, but she urged him to parse it down into a single feature-length teleplay that would draw the BBC's interest. He did, it did, and thus was born the infamous Ghost Watch, which you can incidentally watch still. It's, it's available. Oh. It only aired once, which, and we'll see why in a moment. Um, okay. But it came out on DVD later, and it can still, it's still, I think you can find it on Amazon. Like, it's still watchable, and it's... It holds up rather nicely, and it's kind oh. of the first example of this sort of storytelling. Now, the one-off show uh, would follow its spiritual predecessor, War of the Worlds, in at least two other important respects. It would air on Halloween night, 1992, in the UK, and it would go on to earn a reputation as being one of the most controversial broadcasts in media history. Really? Mm-hmm. The central conceit was simple. On live television, two well-known personalities would join a team of paranormal investigators to visit a location touted as the most haunted house in Britain. Uh, adding another layer of veracity to the enterprise, Michael Parkinson would be hosting the broadcast, keeping tabs on the investigation from the BBC studios. This last bit was an especially nice touch since Parkinson was sort of the Larry King of the UK in his day. He was a respected, serious-minded talk show host trusted by generations of British viewers and a well-known skeptic in questions of the supernatural, right? 
Meanwhile, Sarah Green, uh, who was well known from her years hosting the hit children's program Blue Peter, portrayed the on-site reporter. Her husband, fellow personality Mike Smith, had read the script along with her at home to help her prepare and loved the story so much he asked to be involved. And uh, <laughs> seeing the potential in adding a husband-wife dynamic to the mix, uh, Volks brought Mike on, or Volk rather, brought Mike on to answer viewer calls in the studio while Parkinson presented. Craig Charles, who some listeners may know as Dave Lister from Red Dwarf, kudos to anyone who grew up watching PBS late at night like me, mm. <laughs> also got in mm. on the act, playing a skeptical street reporter who spends much of his time making fun of everyone. <laughs> but the, like essential, the essential point to remember is that everyone involved is playing themselves. As far as the people out there in television land knew, this was just a group of well-heeled TV celebrities gathered together for a bit of spooky Halloween fun. Now, whether or not the live quote-unquote investigation would turn up anything noteworthy, the most people expected were just a few mysterious bumps in the night and maybe a little something to debate about around the water cooler the next day. What they got was scared out of their fucking minds. And it's a, it's a testament to how brilliant the concept was and how well it was executed. Now, it's worth noting that nothing like this had ever really been attempted on live television. Before the scourge of reality TV that, and the shadow cast over the horror genre. <laughs> the, uh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but before that, and even before the shadow cast over the horror genre by found footage juggernauts like the Blair Witch Project and Paranormal Activity, the only media template remotely applicable here was War of the Worlds, which aired in 1938 and was based on a classic novel. Now, what we don't really... Uh, what's not often talked about with the War of the Worlds debacle is that a fair number of people did panic at what they thought was an actual Martian invasion going out and broadcasting out on the radio, but many, many, many more people than is generally recognized understood that the radio play to be a work of fiction because they were familiar right. with the H.G. Wells novel. Not so with Ghostwatch, because it was original. Though TV mm. was in something of a transitional phase, at the time, the line between fiction and documentary was still fairly clear. Both genres kept to their own set of conventions that viewers had been internalizing for gener generations. Uh, without context, most people needed only a few moments to puzzle out which camp a given program belonged to. There was no indication Ghostwatch was a setup. The script did such an outstanding job of keeping things within the realm of possibility that even skeptics were sucked in. So, what did they see, you ask? Well, for starters, let's, before we get into that, discuss Ghostwatch's real-life inspiration, the Enfield Poltergeist, which you may mm. have heard of. There's a quick rundown from Wikipedia. In August of 1977, single mother Peggy Hodgson called police to her rented home in Enfield, claiming she'd witnessed furniture. Didn't you do the Enfield? No, I did uh, uh, the Black Monk of Pontefract, which is similar. Uh. I, I haven't done Enfield yet. I want to, but this, and uh, we'll get to that in a second too. <laughs> but she claimed <laughs> she claimed that two of her four, of her two of her four children. I should have written that better. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Margaret, who was 13, and Janet, who was 11, had been hearing thuds in the walls and seeing things moved and had things thrown at them, um, et cetera, et cetera. The police constable said that she saw a chair wobble and slide, and she couldn't see for the life of her what had caused it. Uh, and later claims included all kinds of things, but everything you'd expect from a good and proper poltergeist report. Uh, and over a period of 18 months, more than 30 people, including neighbors, psychic researchers, and uh, researchers, and journalists uh, said they had some experience in the home, uh, including hearing a deep, gravelly voice that scared the shit out of them. Um, 
the the story was covered in the Daily Mail and the Daily Mirror and uh, until reports kind of petered out uh, in the end of 1979. And though one investigator said on record that he felt the infield poltergeist to be perhaps the single best documented case, documented case of an actual haunting, as media coverage intensified on the home, details came to light which threw the family's claims into doubt. There seems to have been a fair amount of bullshit involved, but also a, <laughs> a soupçon of truth. Looking back on it now, it seems the family, and possibly the investigators, probably supplemented a real-life haunting with theatrics of their own to help sustain public interest. Because, you know, ghosts rarely hit their cues and don't often cooperate <laughs> with cameras. True. And an, true. an increasingly media-savvy public saw the infield haunting as an example of truth told through an eye for ratings. Meaning, eh, bullshit. It's a bullshit sandwich with just a little bit of truth in the center. Viewers tuned in by the millions, fascinated by the blurred line between fact and flummery, compelled to scrutinize the investigation with a fine-tooth comb. That's the infield story in a nutshell. More detail will have to wait for a future episode. Bing, bing, bing. Suffice it to say, <laughs> uh, the media circus surrounding the supposed haunting had a lasting effect on how claims of the paranormal are processed in the court of public opinion and what we, as a discerning public, uh, expect from documentaries that purport to explore them. Stephen Volk played to these expectations brilliantly. Some might say a little too brilliantly. <laughs> to their credit... I bet it was just right brilliant. It was just right. To their credit, <laughs> the BBC was squeamish about presenting Ghost Watch as real and insisted on taking precautions beforehand. Just prior to broadcast, a voiceover announcer would state in no uncertain terms that the program was a work of fiction. A telephone line was set up allowing viewers to call in and share their own personal ghostly experiences. Anyone doing so would first hear a pre-recorded message further affirming that Ghost Watch was all make-believe, before being shunted to the live switchboard. That summer, newspapers carried the story that Michael Parkinson was poised to make his big acting debut. The Radio Times included a cast list, and the show was announced as part of the BBC Screen One drama series. So clues were mm. scattered throughout existing media platforms as to what viewers were in for. The only place this wasn't made evident was the broadcast itself. Mm. 11 million people tuned in, one of the highest ratings for a standalone production in the BBC's history. Over the next hour, 20 to 30,000 callers would flood the switchboard, which jammed the phone oh lines God. and overrode the recorded message, meaning the disclaimer was only heard by the first handful of callers. Oh, no. The following is a unique live investigation of the supernaturally ever-reliable and gray-haired Parkinson told viewers at the show's beginning. It contains material that some viewers may find to be disturbing. We hope to show <laughs> you, for the first time, irrefutable proof that ghosts exist. Now, the haunted house... I love house, it when you pander. I, <laughs> I mean, it's, I'm doing a story about pandering. Um, That's true. That's true. The haunted house in question, uh, Parkinson went on to explain, lay nestled on the outskirts of London and was owned by a family of three, a single mother and her two young daughters. Strange, unearthly things had been plaguing the family for months. A piece of pre-recorded footage, supposedly captured by investigators earlier that week, clearly showed objects flying around the girl's bedroom in the dead of night while the terrified children children looked on from their beds. Next, Sarah Green and Craig Charles introduced the investigative team out in front of the home and vamped for time while discussing the various pieces of high-end equipment being used. Moving inside, Sarah in uh, interviews the family. <clears throat> the mother describes your typical 
a typical barrage of poltergeist activity. Thuds emanating from the walls, objects disappearing and reappearing, furniture moving, etc. The delicate balance of fear and disbelief evident in the woman's face makes a very strong impression. The delivery is utterly persuasive. In their bedroom, the children dutifully stamp on the floor to give Sarah a better idea of what mom's been talking about. Now back at the BBC studios, a caller named Emma Stableford phones in with a chilling observation. I did have a story, she twitters in a polite, well-bred RP, but there's actually something else I'd like to say to Dr. Pascal. Dr. Pascal was a parapsychologist on hand in the studio to help answer viewer questions. Uh, she was essentially the foil to Parkinson's polite skeptic. You know, at the beginning, Emma says, when you showed the real footage of that haunted bedroom, I was sure I could see a figure standing behind against the wall just by the curtains. At this point, Mike Smith descends from the switchboard dais to back up Emma's claims. Several other people, he says, have called in claiming to have seen the same ominous figure. Parkinson has the footage brought back up. There it is the outline of what appears to be a huge, hulking man standing by the window as the girls shut off their bedroom lights and tuck themselves in. Astonished, Dr. Pascal in the studio asked for the footage to be rewound and played yet again. Upon re-examining the same piece of footage, though, the figure is gone, and we're, ah! we're led to believe we've simply mistaken, uh, mistaken a dressing gown that's hanging off the bureau near the window. An absolutely brilliant move, I'm sure you'll agree. Right. And one they yeah. and one they repeat throughout the show. The menacing figure lurks subtly in the background of several on-location shots, both in the house and in the street, only to have vanished altogether once the footage is replayed at the request of a caller. Uh, viewers were scratching their heads and leaning closer and closer to their screens at home, debating hotly among themselves what the hell it was they were seeing. Soon, they'd be jumping out of their fucking skins. In his editorial for Bloody Disgusting, Brendan Morrow writes, Look back, Looking back at Ghostwatch after the subsequent wave of found footage and mockumentary horror films, it's remarkable just how much of the subgenre that we've come to know is on display here, long before mockumentary horror was uh, much of a thing. Right from the beginning, we're closely examining security-style footage of the two characters sleeping, and it looks like it's straight out of paranormal activity, and as in that film, the protagonists wake up at 3 a.m. to find something strange going on. Like the Blair Witch Project, the movie also, uh, the movie also seamlessly introduces the mythology of the universe in the first act through interviews, with these scenes coming across as natural conversations in the moment, even though they convey vital information. There are also a number of innovative bits that play with technology, as when the movie provides us with a demonstration of temperature sensors, only to have that become a major part of the third act. And a particularly great surprise comes when supposedly live footage is revealed to not actually be live. This would become the key mm. twist in plenty of horror films, including Saw 2, and in general, the idea of using technology to warp our perception of reality is also the staple of found footage films like VHS and Unfriended. But anyway, back to what the viewers were actually seeing <laughs> here. At one point, Dr. Pascal leads Parkinson's uh, to a large tape recorder in the studio on which she's captured uh, disembodied communications from a spirit in some previous investigation, all to give an example of EVP. For a fleeting moment, and in only one shot, as the pair stand over the reel, listening intently, the figure from the house can just be seen looming behind them in the studio. But Pascal oh. and Parkinson uh, remain oblivious. Back at the That's house. That's awesome. Right? Back at the house, the mother shows Sarah Green the boarded-up entrance to the basement, and in halting tones recounts being trapped inside several days ago while someone or something was forcibly holding the door shut from the outside. See, even then they knew. Mm-hmm. Fuck a basement. <laughs> Fuck a basement. 
I swear as God is my witness, she says, on the verge of tears, I heard, I felt this man in there with me. As 10 o'clock rolls around, the girls are packed off to bed while Craig interviews neighbors outside who have plenty to say about the house. One tells Craig about a little neighborhood girl that went missing several years prior. Another tells him about an eviscerated dog carcass found on a local playground. All this mm. is underplayed so well that I defy anyone to tell me they don't get the heebie-jeebies watching it even now, knowing it's all just part of the show. Inside the house... Meanwhile, a monstrous rapping sound thunders from the upstairs and startles Sarah, who rushes to investigate. Damn good reporter that she is. To her shock, the younger of the two girls, the one presumed to be the epicenter of the haunting, is nowhere to be found. A frantic search mm. ensues. As the unearthly racket echoes throughout the house, a cameraman catches the girl in a hallway closet, gleefully banging the wall with the shoe and zooms in mm. on her. Oh dear, sighs Parkinson from the studio. Beside him, Dr. Pascal is visibly crestfallen. Things now take a turn. What we have, to all appearances, is an open and shut case of an adolescent prank. Nonetheless, Mike Smith informs us that callers are still adamant about seeing a mysterious figure in the background of multiple shots. They're all saying uh, it's an old man, possibly a woman, he tells Parkinson, bold with a skull-like head, dark eyes, or, or some are just saying holes for eyes, and wearing a black robe or a dress which is buttoned up to the neck. <laughs> Reviewing an earlier interview with the older of the two girls, Dr. Pascal points out that what the callers claim to see matches the girl's description of the ghost, one she nicknamed Pipes in reference to her mother's original explanation for all the racket. Dr. Pascal wonders whether they've been looking at the wrong person all along. The older girl may well be the epicenter, she says, not her waggish little sister. No sooner does Pascal pose this hypothesis than all hell breaks loose. Suddenly, a choir of cats can be heard shrieking from the boarded-up basement. The cameras are racked by interference. Audio equipment runs amok. Sarah struggles to keep her colleagues in the studio updated on what's going on as the house is thrown into utter chaos. Um... As the house is being evacuated and the girls are leaving the room, writes Mossman, we can see Pipes standing in front of the curtains in the precise spot where he was first seen. The cameraman sees him too, but as he whips back around to get a better look, there's no one there anymore. Eee! Or was there no one there in the first place? Six right. uh, six minutes later, a cupboard is very slowly opened, and for it's a... not like it was digital. They couldn't stop right, it and rewind right, it and right, look again. Exactly. Yeah. Six minutes later, a cupboard is very slowly opened, and for a fraction of a second, we see pipes before the camera shifts its attention to something else. If we could control the camera ourselves as viewers, we would turn back around to see what was there. But the movie continuously deprives us of the information we so desperately want. Finally, pipes can be seen for just three frames in the in the static, about an hour and twenty seven minutes in. Meanwhile, desperate to maintain order, Parkinson buys the on-location team a little time to figure out their technical difficulties by taking a call in the studio. And though the viewer's story, uh, the caller's story, does give us a moment to breathe, it also brings us kicking and screaming into a terrifying denouement. The caller <laughs> is a social worker. He tells Parkinson uh, and Pascal in solemn tones that he was once assigned to the house's former resident, whom he describes as a, quote, very disturbed man. Convicted on multiple counts of aggravated assault, kidnapping, and indecency with a child. He took his own life, the social worker sputters. That's the reason I called. He'd been watching the show, and upon hearing the cats screaming from the cellar, suddenly remembered the man's body had lain in the basement for days, only discovered when the incessant yowling of several cats locked in there with him alerted the neighbors. <laughs> of course, he said, it had been 12 days. They got hungry. They got to work. Of course they did! 
on his on his face. <laughs> All at once, the studio goes dark. Though, oh no! Though not so dark, viewers can't make out Michael Parkinson seeming to struggle with an unseen assailant before at last succumbing to what appears to be possession by the evil spirit, who we now understand to have been haunting the broadcast from the beginning. The whole time. And you know that he loved it, like being oh, able course, to do something so different. Ghost Watch ends with Parkinson lumbering slowly toward one of the cameras, looking viewers dead in the eye. Fade to black. I want to so, watch it so it's bad. So, it's really good. It holds up incredibly <laughs> well. Um, now, Ghost Watch ends uh, uh, with a friendly voice assuring viewers <laughs> they'd been watching a spooky televised drama. Nevertheless, within hours, every news outlet in the country took the BBC to task for what many people felt was the breaking of a sacred trust. People uh, all please. across Britain so were emotionally scarred by what they'd seen because they thought it was real. Even right. parents who could otherwise enjoy a good spooky yarn on its own merits felt betrayed and deeply begrudged the BBC for putting children at the center of the story. The volume of angry calls was legendary. Hilariously, <laughs> One woman demanded she be reimbursed for her husband's soiled pants. <laughs> now, uh, no! Oh, my God! That now, poor husband! For all that, a fair portion of the viewership, who by now knew Ghostwatch to be a hoax, claimed the program somehow kicked off real paranormal occurrences in their own homes. A vicar complained uh, very vocally that even though the program was fiction, it nevertheless still managed to unleash actual demons onto an unsuspecting viewership uh, because it we somehow... We wouldn't know anything about that. <laughs> <laughs> now, whether or not that's true, Stephen Volk certainly caught hell from people on the street. The clerk at his local off-license told him, I've got a bone to pick with you. Our son wouldn't go to sleep until we took the luminescent skeleton off the back of his door, to which Stephen understandably wondered what a uh, luminescent skeleton yeah. was doing on the back of a child's bedroom door. Yeah, that's weird. Uh, amid all the all too predictable backlash to Ghost Watch, some of which I find quite funny, at least <laughs> at least one unintended consequence stands out for tragedy. Five days after Ghost Watch aired on Thursday, November fifth, nineteen ninety-two, eighteen-year-old Martin Denham hanged himself from a tree in Bestwood Park, Nottingham. The young factory worker was developmentally challenged with, it said, mm. the IQ and emotional maturity of a 13-year-old. His girlfriend told the son that the program had petrified him. His stepfather said he had been, quote, hypnotized. In a suicide note found in his pocket, Martin wrote to his mother, do not be upset. If there is ghosts, I will now be one and I will always be with you as one. April and Percy Denham, his parents, have always blamed the, B the BBC for his death. The Broadcasting Standards Commission eventually conceded, quote, the BBC has a duty to do more than simply hint at the deception it was practicing on the audience. In Ghost Watch, there was a deliberate attempt to cultivate a sense of menace. In November of 1993... It was a far less cynical time, I guess. Yeah, it really was, right? In November of 1993, a year after Ghostwatch's one-off airing, two doctors from a child psychiatry unit in Coventry submitted an article to the British Medical Journal recording the first cases of post-traumatic stress disorder caused by a TV show. Two 10-year-old boys had been referred to them. One was admitted uh, to an inpatient's unit for eight weeks. He would bang his head in an attempt to free himself from thoughts of Ghostwatch and its evil spirit, Pipes. Wow. Consultants from Edinburgh came forward with four more children displaying 
showing similar symptoms, Martin Denham's parents launched an inquiry into their son's death. In 2002, his mother condemned the BFI's DVD release of Ghostwatch, saying the program had killed her son. The show's producers, Ruth Baumgarten and Richard Broke, were hauled on to the BBC One's consumer watchdog, uh, watchdog show Bite Back to defend themselves. The aim had not been to mislead the British public, they said. There had been plenty of clues along the way that the program was fake, and the children? They shouldn't have been up. It was broadcast after the 9 p.m. watershed, but that didn't mean anything if your parents let you watch it. After well, ghosts, I gotta say mm, mm. that sounds very. It sounds very scary. We watched it in the fucking 80s. Like, get over yourselves. Well, but but where's point, my PTSD about well, clowns? But I guess the point <laughs> the point here that I find so fascinating is that. You can watch it and be scared in a different way because you know it's fiction. But when you're watching a live broadcast or something, when you're a kid, it doesn't matter. I think I I don't know. I think it has a. I think it does matter, Jamie, because if you're watching it with your parents and your parents are reacting, I think it's going to amplify your own reactions as a kid. I think because if a parent well, is watching a horror movie with you, they're going to scream, but they're going to laugh. You know, like we do when we're watching it with the, a movie with the girls or something. But if you're watching stuff with your parents and they react. Right. Uh, with fear, there's suddenly you have a huge comfort gone. And right. so okay, I, but I, here's what I'm gonna say about that. If you are watching something as a parent and you are freaking out, you send your child to the other room. Like you I be mean, a fair, better parent fair, than that. Fair, fair. But I guess if you're so scared you're shitting your pants, <laughs> it's too scary for your child. I guess. But so but, like, but but uh, and I don't know. Again, I, don't, just, I just feel I, like it's a lot of excuses. I don't I, I you know, I don't I don't disagree with you. But it let was me, the nine it was two thousands, right? Uh it was nineteen ninety two. Okay. But by two thousand um, they were say they were they when were still the by, two, by 2000. They were still saying that. Uh, well, by 2000, like it was released on DVD, and then it kind of sort of brought the whole thing up again. Uh, so it's so okay, almost gotcha. a decade later. But, but I just feel like too, the, the 90s were a really big time for Ritalin and child psychiatry yeah, became a really big thing. Not wrong. And it was all about medicating and not That's necessarily true. about treating. That's true. So I wonder too how much that had to do with it. But, I, I just but feel like- one could also make the argument, you, you, uh, just to circle back for a second to your saying, like, hey, if you're so scared that, that you're shitting your pants, you should, you know, uh, send your kids to bed. Um, but one could argue that by then the damage is already done. If your kids have seen you shit your pants. <laughs> yeah, but, but there are also, some clues the program, ahead of time. I know, but the program is is also designed to keep people watching because if they don't want to look away right. for a second, they might miss a detail. You know, so so all of this was designed to scare the shit out of people, literally. Um, mm-hmm. And and it worked, but some of the unintended consequences, of course, of this kid and this this poor kid, this Martin Denham. You know, uh, who's to say? Martin Den- Martin Denham's different too, and I think that there probably He's needed to be more attention I, paid in I, other areas of his life. I have very. It's. Yeah. I, I don't. In my experience, no one kills themselves for one reason, unless I agree. unless it's a it's a even if it's a terminal illness, there are other factors involved. If someone wants to take right. their life, because maybe you know you may not you may not. Uh, I don't know. I I don't want to get into all that. It, it's it was a tragic right. thing, but it showed you like how it, this uh, changed how you know stories like this are presented, and it kind of was the first example of quote unquote fake news. <laughs> right. Well, and you know, um, I also can't help but think about when I go to like horror movie, movies or did when we could go into movie theaters. Mm-hmm, <laughs> um, mm-hmm. <laughs> right. People who bring in their children. 
to those yeah, things. Yeah, I don't understand that. I, I don't, don't understand, understand that. that. Now, I could get, like, maybe their cool parents are like, hey, I'm going to scare the shit out of my kid, and then whatever, because it's fun to scare Most kids. Most of the time, it just seems <laughs> like they're lie. selfish and they want to go. Most of the time, it's just they can't find a babysitter or afford one, and they're going to go they're to the fucking see the movie do. anyway. And I'm like, Jesus And that Christ. kid isn't going to get to go to therapy for PTSD, but you know they're still traumatized by that scary movie. Mm-hmm. And so I think in the case of this show, these are parents that should have been watching their kids and paying attention to what their kids were watching, and they went weren't and then when the child had a reaction to it instead of holding themselves accountable yeah. they're blaming the show and i guess and and you know i i totally agree with you but i again i'll say i think this what they were watching was such a new thing that they i think a lot of people just didn't know how to process it and so they weren't they didn't have their wits about them uh, even if their yeah. kids were freaking out and it could be that you know kids were probably i, I don't imagine kids were terribly scared because all these sound like very subtle uh, yeah, techniques right. that kids would have been like, I don't understand what's going on. So kid, for kids, the this, this scare may not have registered until much later when they've had time to process right. uh, what they've seen and how it affected mom and dad. Well, and hear mom and dad grandpa. talk about it, yeah. Yeah, so it's it's complicated, but I'll wish to say, like, it's... <laughs> It's such a brilliant show. I can't. Like, it was I, I so well done. It. It's really good. It's re- It holds up really nicely. Um, so after Ghost Watch, found footage, infrared camera work, and CCTV-style filming became staples of the horror genre. Creators of the Blair Witch Project cited as an inspiration. The visual grammar of reality TV would become the dominant trend in entertainment eight years later, of course. Ugh. That's the one bad offshoot that I can think of, in in popular culture at least. Uh, (laughs) The sense of involvement in voting someone off, uh, you know, a show or voting to get them on or whatever, Volk says, is really no different to an audience willing themselves to see a ghost. Quote, you feel a real kind of intimacy at the time, but once you switch it off, it means absolutely nothing to you, end quote. Well, it remains to be seen whether or not that's true. But that is the story of Ghost Watch and how wow. pretty much an entire nation saw a ghost that wasn't real. <laughs> um, I love it. Because because it was coming from a trusted source. And so That's it's crazy. important. But, it, you know, it, and I don't think you can get away with that now. I think, you know, look at us. Hmm. We, we watch... It's too cynical. We watch Nuke's top five all the time for the because it's fun to be scared, yeah. but half the time I'm like, ah, that can't be real. That can't be real. It's it, bullshit. It scared it's bullshit. me, but it's bullshit. But this was something there's like one, this like, had never been done. There's one TikTok out right now. This is and because you always see like, oh, this is how that could be done. So like, there's a TikTok one where they're guy and he's videoing the chair, and the angle is like you can't see the other side of the chair, and it's like if I can't see the whole thing, right, right, I ain't right. buying it. At the same time, <laughs> though, if this guy is scared because he's hearing this chair move. He's, he doesn't want to move closer to it. He doesn't want to move where he is. He's just trying to see if he can get it. And yeah. then it's like, yeah. So, that's, you know, that's, that's, again, that's... ghosts do not follow rules when it comes to filming. They're not on their, they do not follow their marks. <laughs> they don't. They don't. <laughs> they don't it's, find like, them. it's like working with animals or children. Like you can't, yeah. they're going to do their own thing and you just kind of have to roll with them. it. I, that's, but that's one of the, the, probably the thing I find the most fascinating about paranormal experiences is because there is no proof. There's no there's no way to prove. We don't have the yeah. apparatuses will prove because there's nothing. Because essentially, um, and I, I know I'm I'm putting I'm, I'm generalizing here, but but most scientific equipment that we have, though it works well and does exactly what it's supposed to do, it's still an extension of our sensory input that we come with biologically, and that's you know, and so for that reason. If you're having one experience, like, you know, the, the, people always say seeing is believing, you know, so like, I don't believe in ghosts, but if you have an experience, 
then you go, okay, I, I have that. But even your own experience can't always be trusted because we see how things affect your perceptions that, that you don't realize are happening. You know, sometimes it's not easy to tell uh, if you were dreaming or if you were seeing something or pareidolia or whatever. And so what's fascinating about paranormal is uh, the paranormal experience is that I think it points to the limitations of what we can know. And mm -hmm. so we grapple with it constantly. And, and as, as we observed in your story, Jamie, like we'll have experiences happen and we have to make a story about it. One person yeah. goes, well, it's perfectly logical. It's this, it's an electromagnetic field or it's Venus. And another person goes, it's the ghost of someone who never actually fucking lived there. You know? It must be this person who but lived it's, here. It's funny that the experience is real, but both people are fucking wrong. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. And so it's kind of this, this, this. Uh, it's this... the same thing with um with EVPs. Like everybody always wants to put like, and even we do it, we do it with the stuff that uh, Jeremy Inman had mm -hmm, with the recording. Mm -hmm, it's like, we're mm -hmm. all trying to figure out, you can't not try to figure out what it says. But the reality is there is a recording of somebody who is not there talking. Yeah. And that is fucking creepy. It's it doesn't so necessarily matter all the time. It's like, oh, it says you're going to die. It's like, I'm pretty sure it just goes, ah, ha, ha. Like, <laughs> that's was... <laughs> scary on its own. Like, you don't need to know exactly every time what it means. I, what it, you know, but it's still I, creepy. This is making me think of an episode of Ghost Hunters, the, the original uh, one that came out in the early aughts that I thought was actually rather good. Um they there's one episode in a later season where they go to a woman's house because uh, she she comes to them she's like I'm desperate I'm having weird shit and she she does not like it one fucking bit like she's like it's not just that this is spooky I've got a ghost in my house she's like I don't fucking believe in ghosts but they're yeah. here fuck this handle it you know and she's very she reminds me of my grandmother she's very practical minded very no nonsense she looks like she just would never smile for fear of someone thinking she's having a good time and um. <laughs> And at one point, they they it, and it's a pretty startling investigation. They they get some pretty convincing pieces of of EVPs or footage, as I recall. And one of in one of them, something says very clearly her name, which is oh. uh, uh, and I, I can't remember now what it is, but I remember making quite an impression, going, "Yeah, that's that's all right." Without being told what it is, that sounds like it's Diane or whatever her name was. And they played it for her, and her reaction was, "What does that mean when they say your name?" <laughs> And of course, they don't have an answer. They're like, well, we don't really know. And she's so mad that there's not an answer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. They're like, we're just here to collect something you can look at and kind of affirm that you've had these experiences. Now, here's an outside source saying, yeah, you, you we've had some experiences too. And she's like, but what is it? mean <laughs> i don't like not knowing what it means like it's kind of she she has yeah. this i mean she's not as uh animated as i am being about it but like she was very like she was just she felt i think in the end the impression i got was that she felt the whole investigation was a waste of time because all they did was f tell her she's not crazy but that oh fuck yeah. i know i'm not crazy they i just want to know i just want to know what this is <laughs> yeah right and they couldn't. i need answers yeah yeah but we don't so. have them because we don't know mm -hmm. what that is. We don't know any of it. That's so crazy. Yeah. Really good so. story. Thank you, really thank you. It. And and we should we should really watch it together sometime. Yes, uh, I want it's, to. It's good. To. It's really good. I watched it again uh, for this, and I was like, it's been a while. I remember watching it years ago when I first heard about it, and I got it on DVD somewhere, and I was like, oh yeah, or I rented it some DVD places. Uh, premiere video. Well, did you? Used to be around. It was it Amazon. Did you watch it on Amazon? <sighs> no, no. Uh, uh, it's available on Amazon. Uh, I watched okay. it on. Oh, excuse me. Yes, yes. You mean today? Yes, I watched it or yesterday on on Amazon. Yeah, rented it on, on. Okay, great. Was it Amazon? I don't know where it? I can where yeah. I can stream it. <laughs> Amazon. Just you can also watch question. it. I think you can. I think it's on YouTube as well for for to, to okay. rent on YouTube. Okay. But it's it's out there. Uh, I get so tired of YouTube asking me if I want the freaking membership. I don't. I don't. <laughs> no. I say no every time. Please stop. Please stop. Stop it. 
I'm gonna just gonna keep skipping ads. Stop. Keep skipping. Um, leave me the fuck alone. Yeah. Uh, okay. Well, thanks right. everybody for listening. We hope yeah. you enjoyed it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Have a wonderful week. Yeah. Stay safe. Stay sane. Wash your hands. Uh, you know, obviously do multiple, do research on any news story you see that. That's right. Follow up. <laughs> follow up. Follow up. Um. Yeah. And remember. It's, it's okay, okay to, to sleep, sleep with, with the, the lights, lights on. on.